All right, welcome back to another episode of the Decade Podcast. This one is one of those that really strikes home for me, because um, we always come back to optimism and pragmatism in this podcast, and that's just what this episode is about. It's about how can we personally stay sustainable in these times of great change and while working on issues way larger than we can grasp ourselves. So I'm really happy that we had Oren on to talk about these issues because he talks about how we can relate to our work in a way that benefits ourselves as human beings. And he shares stories and insights from working with these questions for a long time with uh, change makers and people in very stressful situations. And all of what we talked about can really be summed up nicely with the slogan of Oren's initiative, The Changing Room. Do good, do well, be well. So that's all I'm going to say about this. And I really hope you find some nuggets in this that you can take with you and implement in your own life and continue the conversation. So with that, I give you our next episode with Oren Ip. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Decade Podcast. I hope that you're doing fine wherever you are listening to us here today. I'm super happy to to say that we have a very interesting guest named Oren Ip. Welcome Oren, how are you today? I'm well thanks, how are you? Nice, I'm doing great. Um, You've really been uh, working in the service of others for more than 20 years. And uh, you've done many years in foreign aid, designing, managing and evaluating multi-million dollar programs in Asia, the Middle East and Africa. And after many years of, of working in transitions with countries, communities and institutions, you now focus on personal transformation uh, as a driver of social change. And you work with activists, entrepreneurs and innovators by by helping individuals design and lead lives of meaning, service, passion, and balance. And Melker and I met you earlier this year uh, at an event about the topic of well-being for changemaker. And it's mm-hmm. um, really amazing to have you on here with us today. Um, yeah, is there anything you would like to add to, to that presentation of yourself in 2021? Uh, no, that was very well researched. Nicely done. It captures it well. I think that even though I've done various things at different times that don't they don't necessarily seem that they've added up and they certainly didn't seem that they added up to me at the time for sure i think the common thread has been working to support others who are working to change themselves and the world so that that change element um and it used to be driven i think by sort of larger global community social change political also i did a lot of work in governance as you were saying in foreign aid um, and more recently, as I do that, I realize the importance of also understanding uh, self and how the personal affects the professional or how personal affects change and how we show up as ourselves really makes a difference. And our ability to do that really influences how we show up in the world, in our work, in our parenting, in our friendships, in our family life and everything else. So that's been uh, an addition recently to the work that I've been doing. 
Mm, that's awesome. I think you touched on some points there that are something that we've been really feeling a lot that uh, we're trying to talk about holistic sustainability. And that took us into talking about everything from the personal development side to the global macroeconomics. And uh, today we'll probably talk a, a lot about like well-being, personal resilience. And uh, I feel like it's almost long overdue that we have an episode like this on the podcast. So I'm very happy to have you here because I think it's a topic that's so relatable to probably everyone in in one way or another. And certainly for me and I, I think for Jonathan as well. Um, I think and I, we, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> now, what I think like the, the focus here of uh, having an empowering approach, even when this field and change making can be filled with lots of struggles and doom and gloom. So being uh, able to feel empowered rather than uh, pacified by the circumstances around us is something that is really important to to how we show up and how we continue to show up on a sustainable basis. Um, so I'm I'm really interested to just start this off with hearing a bit about like your relationship to to well being and perhaps like when you were in in conflict so someone's working with foreign aid. So what was that like for you? Sure, sure. I'm I'm also I just wanted to. Um, to touch on, on a point, I'll come to your question in a second, which is I'm, I couldn't agree more that we need to be having more of these types of conversations. And I'm very grateful to both of you for creating the space to have that as part of a larger conversation around sustainability or resist or resilience or change. Uh, because again, holistic is a great word as far as I'm concerned, because we're we're whole humans and the notion that we sort of walk into a room and we have our professional persona on and we do things that are somehow divorced from who we are as people or as parents or as family members or so on, members of society is sort of an outdated notion. And I think that's beginning to change. And I think conversations like these and your platform is creating space for greater awareness and greater curiosity to sort of really come out. And so I think it's, uh, it's a very important element, and I think it's it's one that that motivates me to continue to do this work because I think that my experience is that given the opportunity to talk about the things that are personal for us in the work that we do, particularly when it comes to change, and I think you're right. I think that there are so many examples of doom and gloom and things that are, um, you know, one one crisis or another that it's easy to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders to feel lonely in that endeavor to feel sort of uh distance from others to to really integrate some of the the pain and suffering or whatever the element is and it's hard to remain positive and energetic in order to do the kind of work that you do and so um i think the the understanding oneself and how we re relate to ourselves and then to our communities and to society and to the world is sort of a really critical and also overlooked element in this work for most change makers. And that's why these types of spaces are so important. Um, in terms of my well-being, and it's, it's, it's an interesting question, sort of how does one take care of oneself in extreme circumstances or in environments that are really uh, difficult or challenging? And yes, I've spent uh, time in, in war zones and, and fragile um, environments uh, but you don't have to live in Afghanistan 
uh, or Syria or Yemen in order to experience some difficulty. So it's, I think it's this is sort of an extreme version, but I think it's it's relatable to to anyone who's just facing whatever kind of challenges that they are, uh, even if they're sitting at home in Stockholm or Yenshipping or, or elsewhere. Um, I think in Afghanistan in particular, I think there are a few things that helped. Uh, one was the fact that my, uh, my wife was there. We were there together. Uh, she was doing work and I was doing work, which was an unusual arrangement because these were non-dependent posts, which means that you're not allowed to bring your spouse or your family to places like Afghanistan. Um, so we were there in, sort of in, in our individual capacities, but they're together. And I think that that was an absolute key to processing what was happening in real time. Uh, we had a lot of friends and colleagues who had friends and family or relationships back home, wherever home was. And what I, what I found for me personally was that having somebody that I could help understand the world around me on a, on a regular basis and, and provide that support to her was fundamentally important. Um, she knew what I was experiencing. She knew what I was seeing. She knew, you know, if there was a, an explosion that woke us up in the morning, she was right next to me and sort of experienced that and, and understood sort of what that meant. So I think, uh, relationships, uh, and, and, Sort of leaning into relationships, I think, was was a real important part of it. I think staying connected with others, both friends in Kabul, um, but also just back home, and and having that sense of support and belonging to something greater, I think, was also really important. Um, and then doing the things that I've come to know are important for me, which primarily is exercise, finding ways to exercise and relief, release whatever uh, stress or tensions were building up. Um, you know, there were also understandable and, and we were certainly part of this is that, and you may not necessarily think of this on the surface of it, but the, the party scene was raging in Kabul, uh, for the internationals. Um, and it was, it was always a very bizarre thing. You could go to an embassy and there'd be 300 people dancing and drinking and, like full on, um, and, and you sort of understood why you were there, but at the same time, you know, literally across the street or standing outside was a very different reality. And I think that was part of the need for that, that release was living constantly with the other and, uh, the other being the difference and, and how other people were living their lives, Afghans, uh, around us. And so there, there were those, those elements as well, um, which, helped with well-being, although not always in the most healthy of ways, unfortunately. Um, and so I think it's, it's in those, in those environments and in those circumstances, it's very much about sort of knowing what your, how to tap into the things that matter to you and then actually accessing them and doing them. Right. And that's, that, that could be in a place like Afghanistan or it could be, it could be elsewhere. Mm. Amazing. Cool. Thanks for sharing that story. And um, it's what I hear when I hear you talk and what you said in the beginning there is that we really have the the power to affect our well-being and there is so much to do. And it's been this um, mantra that has been stuck with me for, for a bit of a year now when I heard it the first time. And that's 
everything starts with you. Mm -hmm. Like there is a lot of circumstances around you, but uh, it's up to you how you show up. It's up to you how you choose to respond to the different events and circumstances and your feelings. But there is so much that we can do ourselves, really. I think that that's, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and I think that that's where, that's where it all starts, right? Mm. Um, and I think that our ability to affect the change that we want to see in the world, I mean, this has also been said many times, sort of starts within and it's sort of understanding yourself in order to unlock the potential mm. that you have as an individual to bring to whatever facet of your life that, that you're trying to, to work on or that you're trying to, to mm. progress toward. And, uh, as, as scary as that often is, I can't think of anything more important, uh, when it comes to really fulfilling potential and, mm. and putting ourselves out there and, and doing the work that we came here to do, particularly when mm. it comes to some of these bigger issues that we're, we're trying to affect social issues, political issues, economic issues, the environment, and so on. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you also have this of, you have, you have to fill your own cup before you can give of the overflow. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like kind of the same concept, but um, super fascinating already. <laughs> uh, but but I want to go back a little bit. When, when I introduced you, I said that you're working with uh, a lot of like change makers, innovators, entrepreneurs and such. Could you elaborate a little bit on your, how, how does your uh, day-to-day work like uh, today as 2021? Sure, sure. Um, so what I'm, what I'm, a, a few years ago, I was, I was working in international development and uh, traveling quite a bit. I was uh, consulting, so I had my own, or I have my own uh, company, and uh, I wanted to build that out. And I wanted to, as you mentioned, sort of look at change from a different perspective. And the personal really was calling me in a way that I didn't exactly understand at first, but I, when I looked back and I thought about the the moments of the experiences that really mattered to me, they invariably centered around conversations with people, with colleagues, with the people that I worked with, that are people that I worked for, that are people that I worked on behalf that were rather personal in nature. And so, for example, when I was, uh, when, we were, when I was living in New York and I was teaching at NYU, there was a master's class on international development. But for me, when I look back on that experience, the most telling and the most enjoyable moments of that were working or talking with students in office hours and talking about sort of their future and sort of how to navigate the space and, and how to find meaning in their work and so on and so forth. And the same was true when I worked in development uh, with the people that I was working to support and elsewhere. And so I started to, to look for opportunities to not only support sort of change in the broader, bigger systemic way, but on a personal basis. And for me, the, the, the social entrepreneurs, the innovators, the activists were sort of a natural transition. I started to, to I was mentoring and then I was coaching and I got involved with, uh, with a fellowship and some accelerators. And that gave me access to dozens of, of social entrepreneurs in particular. And there was this interesting sort of dynamic where I was in, in one-on-one uh, sessions, 
there was a lot of openness and a lot of uh, vulnerability around the challenges that they were facing. People feeling lonely, people feeling like frauds, the imposter syndrome, people feeling overwhelmed, like they couldn't prioritize. Um, people taking the issue that they were working on and really um, almost over-identifying with it and, and taking it so personally and the successes and the failure and fear and shame and all of those things. And yet in the group work, there was very little of that. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting is that we were more comfortable, still not entirely comfortable, but we're more comfortable in sort of a one-on-one -on -one setting being able to open up in that way. But in, in group settings, there's still a lot of posturing and there's a lot of sort of projection of strength, of power, of expansion. And so I started to convene spaces where to invite people to really show up as their whole selves and have conversations that really mattered. And something, when I do this, I, I find it quite magical in the sense that vulnerability begets vulnerability that is when when you are vulnerable you sort of mm. give permission to others to be vulnerable and people want to connect in genuine honest open ways and i think that there's such a hunger for it that uh, it really is about setting a container that is safe and where people can sort of dare to be themselves and then the conversations and the openness sort of have a life of their own. And, and, and for me, it's a very light touch facilitation where I'm just able to kind of stand back and people really have this strong, strong desire to connect, which I think is, has been particularly visible uh, this last year and a half during the pandemic as our lives have been very isolated and we haven't seen people professionally and socially in the way that we're used to. But I think there's sort of a larger element going on here, sort of in this period of time where even though in some respects we are more connected than we ever have been, globalization and, and access of travel and markets and all this kind of stuff. And at the same time, as we've seen with the, the loneliness uh, uh, pandemic, that um, we are much more isolated and we feel much less a sense of belonging. And so part of what I do is try to create these spaces for people to come together. Maybe they know each other, maybe they don't. Oftentimes they don't who share in, in most cases, they're either founders or startup in the startup world, uh, mostly sort of social entrepreneurs. And that is enough of a connection for them to begin to open up because they share that common experience of so the ups and downs and the challenges of being an entrepreneur. And not that everybody has the same experience, but some of the personal elements, the personal journey is very much the same. And I've worked with people uh, in many, many countries, in many contexts, in many stages of their startup or in their, in their businesses um, of, of different persuasions and, and different philosophies and political backgrounds. And the challenges that come up and the elements that they raise are very common. Uh, and there's something very human about that. And I think that allows them to connect across time and space and experience and geography and so on. Mm -hmm. So to your question, um, I do a lot of group work with uh, change makers. I also, as I suggested, um, do one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching uh, mm -hmm. with them. Um, I'm also, I'm in the process of, of looking at a few new things as well in terms of 
Uh, I think that I'm in conversation with a couple of friends slash colleagues uh, on a new startup project of our own that, that addresses some of these issues, um, particularly in the business world where these topics are more taboo than I, I think elsewhere. And it's funny and, and it's sort of laughable in the sense that we're all experiencing versions of this, of self-doubt and fear and loneliness and a desire for connection. We all do. It's just, it's, it's the human experience. And yet in certain settings like the workspace or the office, for the most part, that's just not talked about. It's not tolerated. It's not invited. And that's not to say that you should come and bring your entire life to the office. No, but there are ways that we could be relating and supporting one another in the professional arena that just recognizes the strength that comes from vulnerability instead of sort of the classic, you know, vulnerability is weakness and we should, you know, kind of avoid mm -hmm. it. And I think that this, this manifests in different ways with different people. I think men in particular sometimes have a harder time with this because their expectations sort of around masculinity about what it means to talk about self-care or take time out or not necessarily, you know, throw yourself into your work so that you're doing nothing but climbing the corporate ladder or whatever the case is. Mm. Uh, so I'm sort of looking to explore that a little bit as well. Um, while also doing design and evaluation work on, uh, with international development, which is another creative way for me to support those who are out in front of change. Mm. Mm, cool. You touch on so many points that, that I find really interesting. And the first one I would just like to mention is that the aspect of this being a such a common experience is actually why I wanted to invite you in the beginning to tell you a bit about your own journey so that mm. people could feel like this is something that connects to me as well. Um, and there are so many points of what, what I heard with uh, you having your uh, wife down in Afghanistan is that you directly had the possibility to have a shared experience and uh, mm -hmm. meet each other there and coming to like more of the work settings and and these aspects is uh, you talked about vulnerability vulnerability and uh, I find that that might be the antidote to what I call the Instagram effect of I have to be strong I have to look perfect I can't show weakness and uh, just being um, more vulnerable or authentic and daring to show up in a more honest and full regard can really be the first step to open a door away from the the harsh cor uh, corporate uh, culture of uh, steel and concrete and into something more human. And uh, this is why I want to hear you speak a bit about like, I know you work with something called the Changing Room Initiative and uh, mm -hmm. Could you just uh, tell us a bit about that name for starters? Like, uh, because I think sure. it's a great analogy. Sure. I think that, look, I think that vulnerability is the key uh, in many ways. But in order to be vulnerable in a way, A, some of us come to it more naturally than others. And I think that um, I didn't necessarily come to it mm -hmm. naturally. And I think over the last few years, part of my own uh, journey has been being more comfortable with showing up as I am instead of as I'm expected to be or in certain settings uh, as it should be. And so I think that in order to be vulnerable, we have to have some sense of self and sort of get to know ourselves 
in better ways and understand sort of the, the operating systems that are affecting how we behave, how we think and how we interact with the world. And so, but vulnerability, it's right there on the edge for me all the time. And I think it is for a lot of people of being willing to show up who we really are and take the chance that others will embrace us, support us, love us, and so on. And that's for oftentimes that's just a scary thing to do. And so part of, part of the work necessarily is creating space for people to feel brave so that they can step into that vulner with vulnerability. So I, I really, uh, I really agree with you on that one. Uh, the changing room is an initiative with that I, that I started as an effort to bring this kind of awareness to uh, the support systems that exist for entrepreneurs and startups. And so there are dozens or hundreds of incubators and accelerators and fellowship programs and co-working spaces all meant to help entrepreneurs expand their business or improve branding or uh, raise capital or whatever the case is. And there are few of them, very few of them, who take a more holistic view to, to your word earlier and look at the entrepreneur and not just the enterprise. And so it's meant to uh, support those existing programs. So not necessarily, you know, uh, run in parallel, but to attach to them in order to say, Hey, look, we as a support system recognize that you as an entrepreneur are having certain experiences and facing certain challenges. And we want to provide space for you as an, in, as, as a whole being to make, to be successful. And we all know the stereotypes around the startup world and the business world more broadly or, or any part, which is sort of the sprint. You know, you, you start a business, it's all in, it's all consuming. And what happens with that, plus for the social entrepreneurs that I've uh, worked with, there's the, the additional element of the work is so important and it's personal. Like I'm working on climate change or women's rights or violence against young people. Oftentimes there's a personal experience there, but that makes it much more difficult to separate from the issue. And so in those settings, it's important for the cause in order for real change to happen for people not to get burnt out and for people not to run into the wall and sort of sacrifice themselves for the cause. Nobody benefits from that. And so the changing room and the idea here changing um, the changing room is that it's an opportunity for people to look at themselves and to change themselves as they sort of progress towards the work that they're doing. Right. Um, and so it is, it is in conjunction with fellowships and other kind of support programs that I'm trying to introduce the personal human side of the journey and give people an opportunity to articulate, express, and, and, what happens in these groups when people begin to share is they they normalize the experience of being an entrepreneur and all of the challenges and the fears and the shame and the worry seem to sort of settle down in a way when you can look across the room and say, wow, you know, you've got your own business. You look like such a rock star. I was intimidated when I walked in the room, but you too have days when you can't get out of bed because you're worried about supporting your staff or you too are afraid of, you know, 
rejection and failure and the whole thing collapsing or not being able to support the people that you're working on behalf of. So that normalization process is amazing among peers. And it's not something that you can teach and it's not something that you can lecture on. It's something you have to experience among people doing similar work to yourself. And so that's the idea with creating those spaces. Um, and it's, it's also uh, individual coaching uh, as well for the entrepreneurs as a complement to uh, the group work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And uh, I heard you mention like over identification with uh, the cause that mm. you're working for. So I'm excited to hear if you see any connections with uh, like heroes complex or a martyrdom, like uh, falling on a sword that you feel like you that perhaps not need be fallen onto if you take a more, I don't know, sustainable or balanced approach towards the cause and yeah. not feeling that you have to carry it all like Atlas. Great question. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, there's a narrative about what it means to be an activist, a social entrepreneur, an innovator, pick your frame. Um, and the story goes that you pretty much have to sacrifice yourself from the cause that you're willing to give it all. And if you're not willing to do it 24-7 emotionally, psychologically, physically, then you're somehow failing and you're not meeting the expectations. And this is, it's, it's not only in terms of social change. I think, uh, you know, living in New York for years and sort of seeing friends who were involved in a variety of corporate environments. Also, there was a badge of honor to work 80 hours a week to sleep on the couch at the office, right? That, that, that it was it was some kind of recognition and or status that you were projecting to the world, even though obviously it's unsustainable, it's undesirable, and it comes at, well, it comes at the expense of everything else in your life. And so I think that there's a really unhealthy story about what it means to be a change maker, what it means to sort of move up the, the hierarchy. Um, and those external pressures are really corrosive. And I think they undermine the amazing work that could be done if we all made space for more sustainable, healthy self-care approaches to the work that we do. And just because you're an activist of, of any kind doesn't mean that you can't go on holiday, right? It doesn't mean that you can't stop your work at four and take your kids to football practice. Right. And these are very sort of human ways in which we can begin to change the narrative. And I feel like, I mean, there are certain probably cultures, there are certain countries where this is more and less uh, visible. I feel like in Sweden, actually, there in certain areas, there is a much greater acceptance for sort of the non-work life in terms of you look at, you know, policies on maternity leave, you look at, um, you know, taking sick days for your kids um, as a separate sort of category, right? Avab, you just look at the ability to, to put parameters around work. There's a much greater acceptance or tolerance or even invitation for that. Um, in other cultures, in Midtown Manhattan, uh, a little bit less so. And so I think that we need to be, we, we need to be, aware of the narrative and we need to be aware of how toxic it can be to the work itself 
ironically, and to those who are carrying it out. And to begin to sort of dismantle that and say, you know what, there are healthier, more productive ways of the long term, right? Because all of these causes are, you know, you look at climate or you look at uh, violent extremism or you look at poverty, any one of these are decades, centuries, you know, they're, they're long-term projects and none of us are going to solve them alone and none of us are going to solve them overnight. And so it behooves everyone. And this is where modeling it, I think, can be really important. And and when you go on holiday, put on the I'm on holiday out of office uh, reply on your email as a way to sort of indicate that, yeah, I'm human too and I'm not going to feel guilty for, um, I'm not abandoning my cause. I'm not uh, somehow abdicating responsibility because I'm taking care of myself too. Um, but this is a great opportunity also. I mean, you guys are well steeped in uh, your work around this podcast and, and the other work that you do. How do you manage that? Right? How, do, how do you manage that narrative of we have to do more, we have to constantly sort of plug away at it while also taking the time that you need for the things that are important mm. to you. Mm. Quite funny that you asked that, actually. I was just going to um, dive into this topic because this is something that's really, really much alive for, for me. And, and I know that Melker and I discuss this a lot uh, in about like how, how, do you, how do we want to design our lives? How mm. do we want to live our everyday lives? And how do we find this, this balance? I mean, I think we all can can agree that we're in a very transitioning times uh, a lot of things are changing with uh, with climate change like uh, how we as you described there and it, this really resonates with a couple of ep- episodes we had before but um, but particularly the one we had on on stories and and how stories and our narrative affect ourselves and and, and human beings and how how so many things that had a core purpose from the beginning has become something completely else Mm. and if if we look at how humans have been human resources have been driven into uh, a completely unsustainable way like we we working as you described there it was seen as something heroic to 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 work 80 hours a week it's cool but I, i really feel that that is really changing that it starts with yourself first and you have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and and your own inner development matters for outer change and if you're we're running on 20 20 of our capacity all the time how's yeah. that gonna turn out it just don't make any sense for me so i'm 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 really in this uh question of um of, of how do i want to design design my life and it's uh, i find it really really di- difficult actually from time to time and it can be very very overwhelming i actually had a a couple of days in now just now where i've been really reflecting on this question and to because i feel there is so many there's no right or wrong answers and it's it really it's not any like clear path to follow like okay I, I should just follow this person and and then 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 it will be all right rather the opposite is like mm. if i if i feel that i'm going in a new direction i feel kind of guilt and shame that i'm going towards the norm or everything around me that i've been uh, raised or what 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 the narratives around me say 
Um, I mean, I can just take the example of me and Melke, we, we're studying a bachelor in economics. And a lot of the things that we learn about economics is actually the quite opposite that we, we learn in our sustainability classes. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's, for me, it can be really overwhelming to, to kind of be in that state of, okay, what is right? What is wrong? Which way should I go? What, is, uh, what speaks to me? So... But to, to go back to your initial question there, well, like how do I handle it? I've, I've tried mm. to really try to find that balance to spend a lot of time with myself, um, ask inwards, like what do I value? What do, what do I, I w- want out of this life? What do I, um, for example, I, I deleted social media a couple of weeks ago. That's been helping me a lot to kind of be more centered with with myself i try to do a lot of mindfulness meditation um so i can stay in that present Mm -hmm. moment as much as possible Uh, i notice myself when i i'm spending too much time in the past and in the future i i get very anxious Uh, and then i lose capability of my own brain kind of (laughs) um i'm gonna invite you here to to speak a bit as well yeah, it's a, it's a super alive topic for me where I feel that I don't feel that I have achieved a balance and I'm not sure if it's something that you achieve. I feel like I'm more mm-hmm. on a pendulum uh, going back and forth. And uh, I have this notion coming back to me quite a lot of, uh, okay, what is enough? Like, when am I enough? And uh, kind of having a history of being myself, a high achiever and among peers that are uh, high achievers as well is... So I feel like the the socialized uh, effect of, as I mentioned earlier, the Instagram effect or whatever that uh, that everyone was showing their their bright uh, bright and shining lives to. I felt like oh I'm not enough. I should also be like that. And for me that was especially true in uh, in high school when I was the chairman of the student union and met all these different high achievers from uh, different backgrounds mm. all across Sweden and. Um, when we met each other, it was so much like, uh, not necessarily bragging, but just trying to to be uh, good and impressing, impressive to the others. And uh, it wasn't until like years later when I actually cultivated some of the personal relationship with these individuals. And as you mentioned, also like one-on-one, that's the only way we could break down the barricades of um, really seeing each other as human beings. And... Uh, for me, this relates back to the heroes complex as well, where they, you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. And I said, that's completely true. I say, meet them and make them your friends and realize that they're also just humans. Um, because mm-hmm. that was really helpful to me seeing that, okay, they're also struggling with something. Then, then perhaps like the, the endless pursuit of being the best achiever isn't, isn't the way I need to go. Um, so that really helped me of, uh, of coming to a more calm state, but for sure, this is definitely something that I have all the time with me. Of uh, I tend to lean into doing a lot, like feeling that my uh, self worth is based on what I do and what I deliver. Um, so I have to remind myself on various occasions that that's that's not all I am. Um, but it's it's really alive, and it's something that I struggle and do well sometimes but uh, it's for sure something that's alive in me well i i i totally relate to that as well i mean i i don't think 
I think we get there for the moment, right? But the moment's mm-hmm. always changing. So there, there is no achievable balance because life is just ever changing and you need, to, there's more things or other things that need to be taken into account. I think the, the tendency to over identify with the cause or, or the work in particular often stems from a lack of clarity about what's important. What else is important, I should say, because that thing that you're working on behalf of, whatever that, that, that is, um, is important clearly, but for most people, it's not the only thing that's important. And I think being very clear about what our values are to your point earlier, um, what all of the things that matter to us in life and being able to see them clearly and then around those multiple nodes, design a life that is more balanced, that does nurture and cater to all of these other elements. Um, and for me, I mean, I, I, for me, I see this most clearly with my kids. I've got a nine and an 11 year old and uh, I made a decision early on, uh, right before they were born that, that this time with them now, while they're kids, while they still want to have me around, um, would be invaluable. And so everything that I do and the work that I do with the days, literally my days are designed around making sure that I'm as available as I want to be for sort of the bigger things and the smaller moments. Right. And so when that tug of, I have to expand the business, I need to push more, I need more clients, whatever that pull is, I listen to it because I think it's important, not for what it's actually saying, but because it's signaling for me something else that I need to pay attention to. But I'm able to sort of say, okay, that is important to me, but so is this other big bubble over here, the kids, the family. And as I mentioned to you guys earlier or last week, I just came back from a two month trip to the US road trip. And, you know, I did very little work um, over the course and I, and in some senses, I'm sort of like, ooh, I shouldn't say that. Like, what a privilege and, and all of the things that go with that. On the other hand, I think, wow, this is exactly what I've wanted to do. Since the kids were born, I have I've taken the summers off. Uh, and that has been sort of a, a really fundamental principle for me. And it doesn't always work perfectly, but it's there for me as a pillar. And when other things call or try to pull me away from that, I have the two or three really important. And the key there is just knowing what's important and keeping that really up ahead and being able to see it clearly. So you can tap into the feeling, the emotion, the experience of what those few things that are important, right? Because when everything is important, nothing is important. And with one thing is important, it will take overtake everything else. Right. And so as a way to kind of, uh, balance that, I think, having clarity on what's important is sort of a key to avoiding some of those imbalances that we're talking about. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree. It's, uh, it's about learning to, to dance in the rain, right? Um, Indeed. Yeah. Um, I want to, um, I want to dive into a little bit to, into the how to's and I want to ask you for like your, from your experience, like uh, tips and tricks, and how, how you can can get around these these subjects, and when, and in times when you feel a bit overwhelmed, I mean, we have the 
many different um, aspects of this and and i think one that um, a lot of people can can relate to is for example the 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 feeling of climate anxiety like we're mm. we're getting more and more bombarded with with reports like uh, the latest one being the ipcc report that showing us that we're we're really running out of time and uh, we we hear scenarios that are quite catastrophic and very traumatic um, and when you think about it on a deeper level and i tend to go there so- sometimes and and this connects with the with the question of uh, i said earlier like okay how how do i want to design my life do i want to be a part of this system that we've created that is uh, looking more and more like a cancer like it's it's just growing 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 and we're we're using all the resources on this planet and it's not it can just go one way mm-hmm. and uh, and for me this can be really really overwhelming sometimes and some i think of it as okay i'm 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 born here in in sweden i'm i'm, I'm raised here i have my friends my family this is this is the normal i know of but the normal I know of is in so many ways very destructive, and and we, we talked about uh, we talked with the I guess we had on named Joe Brewer, which live live and and strive towards living a really regenerative life down in Barichara in in, in Colombia. Mm. I mean, all the houses are made of materials that are from the region. Mm. They they farm their own food. Uh, the way he raised his daughter was like it was really like the uh, the plants and animals, all the relate uh, relatives, and it was felt just so more biologically natural. Uh, and I got very inspired. Uh, but at the same time, I felt like, okay, wh- what is the right thing to do here? Is it to to go live in the jungle and have zero impact because the world needs that or uh, at the same time, I'm really afraid to to leave everything behind here, and it's just these feelings and and thoughts can be really overwhelming. Um, sure. How could how can one like handle these conversations you have with yourself? And are there some tips and tricks to kind of dissect it and bre- break it down a bit to 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 make more sense of it? Oh. That's a big one. <laughs> mm. um, it's a great question. Um, and of course, I wish I had a very clear uh, fix for you, but I don't, obviously. Um, look, I think I don't. A, a few things come to mind. Uh, first of all, I would say be, I mean, it comes back to what I said earlier to start with, which is. Uh, being very clear on what's important to you and what's important to you now. So if this is an issue, it doesn't matter what the issue, but let's take the the climate issue. Um, Mm. If that is very present for you now, there's a few things I would probably do about it. First of all, I would try and unpack why it is important to you. So it's very easy to get sort of into that doom and gloom and being just overwhelmed with the information and all the negative uh, predictions and scenarios and where we're going. Rising, you know, the, you look at the charts, the numbers, and, it, and it, it could be climate, it could be violence, it doesn't matter, right? Um, but what's what I find interesting is to is to unpack that a little bit and to try and figure out sort of what what is it about 
climate change that is really, really worrisome to you. So what is the fear there? And you may in that search begin to unpack things that will inform what you should do about it. So if an underlying fear is, it could be uh, sort of a, a, your need to make a contribution, right? So that will take you in the direction perhaps of going to the jungle. It could take you in the direction of working on policy at the more systemic level. If the fear is around wanting to have a family and leaving a worse planet than you found, then that might inform another set of decisions, right? About whether to have a family or uh, living in a certain way. Uh, I think under looking under the layers of sort of what more deeply is generating that fear or that concern or that worry, I think we'll unpack a lot of insight into where you might want to go to address that need or address that fear. I think with your specific example, I would say freaking go to the jungle. And, and I say it not because I think you should go to the jungle, but I think the opposite of, well, I've got my friends and my life here, as real and as, as, as urgent as that feels, I also think that that's, there's, a, there's again, a construct around that about what a successful life looks like. You know, I, I'm going to finish my degree in economics and I'm going to leverage the work with the podcast and my network and I'm going to get a job. And there's nothing wrong with getting a job. We all need to get jobs and pay the bills. But there, I think there's a set of expectations around how it should be, right? And, you know, then I need to buy an apartment and I need to find a partner and have kids and, you know, buy a car and a big screen TV and a summer house and so on and so forth, right? And I don't know that this is always conscious, but there's, there's a paradigm that we're often trying to fit into. And maybe that paradigm is for you, but recognize that it's a paradigm, question the paradigm, and then intentionally decide that it is for you. And maybe some of it is for you and some of it isn't. So you may decide that right now you can afford, and I don't mean financially, but the best thing you can do is to put yourself in the jungle and experience that kind of life. And you might decide that um, some version of the paradigm, yeah, I do want to have a relationship and maybe have a family, but I don't want to live in an urban center, blah, blah, blah. I want to live out in the country and I want to bring some of those principles of living in the jungle to a space that works for me. Or I want to be really connected with community and I want to do this not alone, you know, on a mountaintop in the jungle, but rather in community with others, right? And so I would say sort of dare to question the paradigms that are oftentimes invisible that we sort of just naturally sort of like, oh, this is kind of what we do. And it's comfortable and uh, it's fun. And, and sometimes uh, it can have meaning too. But I think meaning comes from leading an intentional life. So it, it doesn't matter what you do. You can always find meaning in things if you're intentional about it, as opposed to sort of going through life as a zombie and just kind of having experiences. And there's nothing, and, and that's not to say that you need a master plan. I've never had a master plan. Uh, my wife might not be terribly excited about me talking about this, but um, <laughs> I think things have worked out fairly well. And, and, and 
I think it's still, I'm very much trying to live an intentional life, whether that's being vegan, whether that's compensating on travel, whether that is, like I was saying, staying home with the family, whatever those elements are, um, I think intentionality helps us sort of uh, get through a lot of the, the overwhelm on the one hand and a lot of the questioning and whatnot. And intentionality is based on, again, being clear on what's important. I don't think if, if you care about the environment, I think that there's probably a thousand things you can do to demonstrate that. And I think that when we act in accordance to the things that are important to us, when we're in integrity with those things, we feel good and harmonious and peaceful, and we feel like we're moving in the right direction. There is no quote unquote right choice here, right? Um, the wrong choice is to think about this and not do anything because mm. chances are that's not aligned with what's important to you, right? And so it's not, it's not to, to your point earlier, Milka, it's not always about acting. It's not always about acting. Sometimes the most courageous thing is saying no and sort of not acting and sort of staying with whatever the issue may be. Um, but I think the identifying what's important and then intentionally going after it are, are at least two of the pieces that I think can help address some of the larger angst and fears uh, that you mentioned. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh, I think what what I hear is, and I, we actually talked about it yesterday in our previous episode as well. So many times, it's just about taking that first step, mm. and then 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 it will we we will work out. Um, so yeah, small small for, sweet steps. Yeah, yeah exactly. You need exactly. to start with. Mm. I just want to touch uh, really quickly on uh, what you mentioned here, living intentionally, but because I think it really relates to the stories and the narratives and um for me that has been about really becoming aware as you mentioned as well like being aware of the paradigm of the system that you're in and then sitting with it asking yourself the questions that uh, to make be able to even to make an, an intentional choice because otherwise you're uh, just following it and to the point of climate anxiety i think uh, it was really helpful for me to uh, instead view it as grief and then perhaps look at the, the I'm not sure, I think there's five stages of grief or something according to some model where I think the first one is denial and then there's mm. like anger and, and then coming to going through that process to coming to acceptance that, uh, okay, and that's related to hero's complex as well. I might not be able to save everything. Uh, some things are going to shit. And I'll have to accept that because mm -hmm. that's the only thing that's pragmatic to do uh, with this anxiety or grief. Um, but that's almost the last thing we have time for here today. I would uh, love to speak for hours and hours, but um, you know, we have this uh, uh, last question that we always ask, which is uh, what would you like to encourage to listeners throughout this decade? Oh, it's such a great, it's such a great question and a great to, uh, way to end off. Um, I think it'll come as a surprise to no one that I would encourage people to invest in yourselves, whatever that means. So creating the time and the space and the energy to, you know, all things start at home, um, to really look at what's happening and uh, inside, try to figure out those larger questions of who we really are get a better sense of self and it, because it informs everything. 
it informs your relationships, it informs your work, it informs your contribution, the meaning uh, you find in your life. And to really stake out time. So this is one of those things that like life doesn't stop to allow you to do this. You really have to go after it, right? And in whatever form, it may be meditation, it may be breath work, it may be cold showers, it may be retreats in the weekend, it may be yoga, whatever it is, it could be playing basketball, whatever it is that you, that is a conduit to allowing yourself to explore and to lean in, particularly to the darker corners and really see ourselves for who we are. And, and to your point earlier, Milker, I think that um, acceptance uh, is the first step in the sense of if, if suffering is not accepting what is, then accepting what is is the first step to relieving or alleviating suffering, our, our own suffering. And so being able to say to ourselves, wow, uh, I really don't like this element of myself, but this is just true right now. That's the beginning of changing that aspect of it. And just having the confidence, having the comfort, having the space to sort of explore that, I think is, is the best investment we can make individually uh, for the collective change. And, and if we really want, as we all do, to see a world that looks different than it does or that's different than the trajectory that it's going in, I think this is uh, a critical ingredient of that larger mm. change. Mm. Wow! So what a great way to what a great way to to finish up that conversation. Thank you very much, Oren. I'm very very grateful for uh, for Thank your you contribution. Thank you for making the space uh, to have these kind of conversations, which which as we've spoken about, there aren't enough of them. Uh, and so no, uh, I, sure. I love the fact that you were dedicating a whole episode to these kind of issues and and keep doing it. Mm. Thanks. Uh, before before we we round up, uh, one last thing: if um, if people would like to get in touch with you or get a hold of you, uh, where could they where could they go? I think the easiest um, the easiest way to get hold of me is LinkedIn, um, but they can also go to thechangingroominitiative.com. That's the website, um, and they can reach out to me through that um, and on on anything uh, questions or wonderings, insights, uh, feedback, whatever, uh, I'm happy to, to entertain. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, uh, I, I'd be happy to, uh, happy to, to hear from anyone. Amazing. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, Oren. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you guys. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the decade podcast. I would like to extend an invitation for you to reflect on anything that you found insightful in this episode that you can implement today, tomorrow, and throughout this decade. If you like this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and your networks on social media, and feel free to reach out to us as well if you have any questions or suggestions at thedecadepodcast at gmail.com or through our social media. Thank you, and see you in the next one.